My guest today is the manager of global sales development with WorkVivo. And here's a few things his colleagues say about him. Richard took a team that was flat out failing and turned it into one of the most successful teams in the company, all within the space of a year. Here's another one. Richard is a gifted sales professional who has that uncommon ability to immediately put people at ease the moment you meet him. Here's a few more. Consistently among the top sales performers. He is confident, adaptive and fast learner. Richard consistently demonstrated a strong work ethic and a dedication to success. He is reliable, efficient and a relationship builder. Very target driven. Richard is genuinely a nice person inside and outside the office. And finally, Richard is a cool guy, very ambitious and thoughtful to those who work with him. Richard Mullins, you're very welcome to the podcast. Cheers. Thanks, Paul. And, uh, those people I've been hiring for PR are doing a good job. You, you need down. to start writing some checks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cash, cash in in the checks. It, it's always interesting for me sitting on the receiving end and, and hearing other people um, give their give their feedback. It's um, uh, always uh, it's uh, some people love getting feedback. I, I won't say I don't love it, but it's always a weird position for me to hear good feedback. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. so it's uh, almost sitting in the seat hearing uh, what other people say about me is uh, interesting. Yeah, feedback is is weird. It often feels like you're when you're you know when you listen to your own voice when it's recorded mm -hmm. and you think that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a little bit, but you know it is. Uh, tell me, tell me, Richard. Tell me a little bit, Richard, about where you grew up and what kind of a, a, a childhood you had. Uh, what kind of childhood did I have? So I grew up <clears throat> uh, in uh, Limerick City, uh, in uh, north side of Limerick City, uh, an area called called Myros, um, and grew up with my mother and my sister. So we were a single parent family. Um, and, uh, for me, I think, um, when I think about where I grew up and, and growing up kind of really an area that is classified as, as inner, inner city Limerick, um, it's, it's perceived, uh, mm. as a, as a rough area and it's obviously been in, in the news, uh, over the, um, you know, over decades for, for uh, a number of reasons, but, um, I'm quite proud of where I came from. Um, you know, as with anybody growing up, your experience growing up is normal to you. Um, and my experience growing up in a single parent family in, in my Ross was normal to me. It was, it was, uh, you know, what we experience is what we understand. And it was what I understood. It was, it was normal to me. And it was only other people's perceptions and other people's comments to me that always stood out. Um, you know, it's you here growing up, oh, you're from my Ross, but you seem so nice or, you're from my Russell, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you kind of become attuned to other yeah. people's reactions, um, and other people's reactions mm. and comments tell, tell their own story. Um, <clears throat> not good or bad. It, it just tells its story is what it is. So yeah, I grew up in Limerick. Yeah. I've, I'm, I'm not there now. I'm in Cork quite some time, but, um, I always do like to kind of mention the Myros piece, single parent family piece, because, um, it's, it's been a, a huge influence as with anyone's childhood. It's been a huge influence, uh, in why I've been successful and, and where I am today and the person that I am. So, um, I always like to pause and kind of really emphasize that part of me growing up. Yeah, I'd like to ask you then, if you don't mind about that, because for people listening who, who don't know Limerick, Myros, and, and you know, what, I think a lot of people would have a sense of maybe a 
single parent family growing up in that, it's not so uncommon. Um, it has its own unique challenges, which I'd like to talk about at some stage. But the the the, the Moy Ross thing, and, the, and specifically, when when you say that to people, are you is it a test in some way? Are you looking to do it as a way of seeing how they respond to it or see how they react to it? How they are they do they? I'm just curious to know: is there something more than saying, "Oh, I'm from Ireland"? or I'm from UK, or I'm from France, is there something, when you say it, you, you said you're proud of it. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So I think um, it's different now, it's different now versus say when it was, when I lived in Limerick. So maybe eight, nine, 10 years ago when I lived in Limerick, um, it kind of represented one or two things. There was a, a level I'd be lying if I didn't say that there was a certain level where I was potentially uncomfortable stating that to someone back then, simply because maybe I wasn't fully comfortable with what their reaction might be. Um, it might make someone think differently of me. So that was where I was then. So <clears throat> maybe 10, 11 years ago, there was maybe a little bit of apprehension because I wasn't as sure of myself. Um, maybe uh, there was a part of me that still seeked other people's validation or approval, and I'd be afraid of saying something that might upset the 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 heart from the cart or the app from the you know there's some saying one of those sayings now it will be very different um and now it doesn't always come up all the time because I've been in Cork since you know nine years just over nine years so in many ways Cork is almost home to me now because I've settled here um but when it does come up it's just carte blanche so there's no element of when I say it now that's yeah. testing and I I think now I'm it's because mm. not that I feel and I've proven myself um but I'm confident in my ability with where I am and who I am. Whereas back then, maybe I was a little bit apprehensive. Um, and when I did say it, it was maybe more sheepishly or I withheld that piece of information until I mm. felt safe to say it. Um, if that makes sense, if that answers the question. Mm. Mm. No, it, it does. Because uh, I would imagine when you grow up with, with disadvantage that... The, I could imagine many people who are in your classes, I'm, I'm, these, these are my assumptions, by the way, uh, that many of them might have had di different outcomes to what you have, and that there must be an element of you saying, I'm really proud of, given, given where I started, you know, look, look at this now, look at all those testimonials from people saying, what a wonderful person you are, uh, the success you've had professionally, that's that's not the same as somebody who was given privilege or came from a privileged background. Now, I have to be very careful with this as well because you can come from a financially deprived background but have huge privilege in the relationships with your mother, your sister, your friends, your extended family and have far greater privilege there than some people who grow up in financially secure households who don't have that love and those bonds as well. So I, I'm... There, there's obviously a balance there, but you know what I'm saying in terms of there's still a, a if you look at the, the, the statistics on how many people from Oros, for example, finish or even go to third level education. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's it, true. And, you know, I, I think back of my time in school, you know, on <clears throat> a, a school called Corpus Christi National School. Great school, great passionate teachers, great principal at the time. Um, and, and it actually has a pretty good reputation. Um, but if I look back at my peers when I was a young young child, you know, I can probably count um, and recall exactly who moved on to third level. 
Um, and that and, and I say that because th- I don't see third level as a prerequisite to success. Um, you sure. know, I you know p- people have their own path and and success comes in all different shapes and flavors. But you know, if we're looking at what we traditionally look at as moving on, you know, I can count probably in one hand um, the number of people that I can think off the top of my head that went to third level. Um, but there's something else that you mentioned is really interesting, and it is environment. You know, environment is. Uh, is a crucial one and uh, you know if I look back I think um, you know your caregiver whoever that is your 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 caregiver or caregivers are, are crucial um, you know so for for me it was for me and my sister it was a mother who wanted to give her kids a future that uh, she didn't have the opportunity to have growing up as most parents do they want the best for their kids um, um, so she wanted uh, she wanted the best for us um, growing up and that had a huge um, a huge part to play because um, you know you look back and you know she did the best she could with where she was and she was a phenomenal woman who who really put a roof over her heads but you know she she pushed us to do things like she did not settle she didn't settle and she didn't want us to settle so she was supportive but she pushed us to say get out there and be out there and get out in the world like play you know you're going off you're learning a musical instrument for my sister it was go off and play sports I was the quieter reserved kid I was quite the introverted kid growing up so um I was the studious kid my sister was the rebellious kid so uh 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 so she she pushed us but in the way she thought would get us the reaction that we needed to get to where we were going to go and for me even going to school and going to secondary school she said you know no we're, we're going to go for the best schools we think we can get you into so she didn't want to settle and she she pushed um uh more for us than she did for herself uh which is the funny thing but um uh yeah it's the environment so for me growing up in my ross and growing up um in a deprived area if we're calling it that is less to do they it was it was down to my mother really it was down to the family unit um it was really down to the family unit because she really pushed us uh, to get out into the world and be successful whatever that looked like you said, you said was is she, she oh no away? she's <laughs> just, just what you said was i, I she's okay. she's still here she's not in limerick anymore she's in temporary but she's she's still here and she's still oh, alive. listen yeah. what is yeah but here's the thing okay this is coming from a Kilkenny man. You're from Limerick. You're now in Cork, and your mother's in Tipperary. We shouldn't be talking here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't hold it against you if you don't. Yeah. Okay, Cork though, of all places. Oh, no. <laughs> That's where I met you first. I think it was Malware Bites, wasn't it? It was Malware Bites. Yes, you came in and uh, you did some uh, sales mm. training for us. Uh, I remember that. Mm. Really remember that. Yeah, Le- left an impact because we hadn't really had much training before then. So it was the first real, first time in my professional career I'd been exposed to sales training. So it blew my mind. Yeah. Good. Well, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad it helped. Um, I, I must admit, Cork, I, I do like, as much as I rip people from Cork, it's a lovely place. That said, we're going down to play Kilkenny Saturday evening in the semi-final of the league. I don't know if you're a follower of the uh, the great game. Um, I'm not a huge follower, but I have to listen to my team tell me about it all of the time. And my immediate boss is a huge supporter, so I hear everything. But he's from Kerry, so number one to his heart is Kerry. But like any time we're on the phone, he doesn't shut up talking about it. And I'm like, don't uh, care. Yeah. <laughs> all right. 
<laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself in terms of what motivates you most. What motivates me the most? Uh, I would be lying if I didn't say that a, uh, a motivator for me... Uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about in, me as an individual contributor, me as a manager, but me, me and for the last few years, a big motivator for me is recognition, you know, um, recognition, recognition, but re deserved recognition. Um, and like many other sales leaders or like many other people in general, um, I come with a degree of imposter syndrome. I don't think it's any surprise. I think a lot of us sometimes walk through with different varying degrees of imposter syndrome. So for me, it's always deciphering uh, which recognition do I feel is deserved versus, you know, you tell yourself in the background, is that deserved? So can, can I just can I just hold you on that one for a second? Because you mentioned imposter syndrome and I saw something on the weekend and I'll come back on the on the on the rest in a moment. But. It was presented as if imposter syndrome is a predominantly female thing experienced by women. And I remember reading it going, mm, I don't think, well, certainly from my experience, that's not true. But so I'm, I'm curious to hear you talk about it. Is, is it something is, you see amongst your male colleagues as well? I or do you think, even talk about it? Yeah, I, I think to, to position imposter syndrome as something that uh, affects just women is a very black and white and I would say outdated um outdated I haven't read the piece so I can't comment on it but um you know I, I sure. think I, I think there's there's two aspects to this there's the imposter syndrome imposter syndrome which I think many of us do and I think we all do at some point in time you know there's times where I don't suffer from imposter syndrome because I'm confident and I'm assured of my I'm, a, I'm assured of myself I feel strong in my convictions and I feel like I'm doing the right thing and we're on the right path but there are times whether in your life where you're not sure and you don't have the answer and you're taking the best guess and you're about to make some change and as humans you know change is you know even if we embrace it change is is scary to us so we all suffer from imposter syndrome mm. uh, i think imposter syndrome is situational and it's dependent it's situational what is going on in my life right now in work and in life that is a huge impact on imposter syndrome um <clears throat> So there's the actual imposter syndrome itself. My there's I can honestly say um, people on, on my team, peers that I've worked with, everybody's questioned themselves at some point in time. Everybody's wondered or every, mm. uh, people have not been assured. I think the difference is um, how someone internalizes that. So if I use mm. one of my peers, for example, he'll say all the time, he's like, you know what? I don't have all the answers and I make lots of mistakes and I'm, I'm always not yes. sure about what I'm doing, but he thrives in that. He thrives in that. Whereas someone else, another one of my colleagues will go, I really don't know if I'm making the right decision and I'm really apprehensive about what if it doesn't go right. So both mm. similar on the, on the outside, but when you dig beneath the surface, both internalize it completely different. One, I'm not, I'm not operating out of a place of fear. The other one, I'm operating out of a place of fear. So how we internalize it is under perception. Yeah, that's really interesting. It seems to me there's a framing issue because I remember when I started 20 years ago in this business, I remember going into companies feeling really uncomfortable because I in, in my frame was, I'm training these people how to sell but some of these people were far more successful sellers than I had ever been. 
And I thought, I'm not qualified to do this until I reframed it. I'm not there to train anybody on how to sell. There's specific tactics that I can master and I can then share those with a, with a group and then you can use those to go and sell. But they're specific communication devices or it might be my experience with struggling to pick up the phone that I could identify with people who were in the same position and, and relate to them. And just that reframe certainly helped me enormously. So I, I think you're right. I think it's really around how you frame an issue determines whether you feel like you're an imposter or not. W would you agree? I, I'd agree. And, and none of us are impervious. Um, not, you know, things happen and, you know, it's, there's no point trying to fight that if you're feeling like an imposter, like, you know, we all, we all feel it. But I think it, there's um, a mentor of mine a couple of years ago gave me a great exercise when I was really first struggling with the transition into management it was a huge struggle for me. Um, and I would sit down at the end of the day and it was a daily reframe exercise and it, it's powerful. It's like, what bothered you today? What feelings came up? What beliefs came up? Are the beliefs true or are they habitual? They're usually habitual. So then it's like, in what ways are they untrue? And just that process of trying to reframe, like you're actively, you know, you're sending that message or you're sitting down, you're putting pen to paper. It really does help to process and reframe an issue differently. So, um, I, I, yeah, I totally agree, man. It's, it's in the reframing of our experience. Um, because if we allow how we frame an experience to debilitate us, um, it's going to absolutely impact on what you do and how you do it, where if you can kind of say, hey, I'm doing the best I can with where I am and I'm really doing what I feel is right, and I reframe it and I look at it as, is my experience, is my experience actually true you know, or am I just telling myself? Um, i kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but I, I think I'm making sense. No, absolutely. And it was before I interrupted you with a little bit about the imposter syndrome because I was, it was just very topical. I had asked you what motivated you and you'd started to talk about that. So yeah. if I go back and ask you the same question, what motivates you most? So what motivates me most? Well, going back, I think the first thing I, I mentioned was was recognition. And I, I would be lying if I'd say recognition didn't. And, and it's not like recognition, like I stand up and be like, look at amazing job, but... Um, I like those, just those little check-ins to affirm that I'm on the right track, um, uh, that I'm on mm. the right track. <clears throat> Even if it's sitting down with my own manager or, or a mentor just and going through what's going on, just affirmations that you're on the right track or take us where I've left or have you considered this or have you gone there? So recognition for me is is a big motivator. I'm, I'm not sure if what I'm describing really is recognition in the sense of the word, but it's recognition to me. Um recognition what what else motivates me you know i think um in my in my role what really in my current role and and really why i'm want to stay in sales development um and it also ties into some other work I, I i do on the side is um i really i really enjoy seeing people change um in their current role and i think sales development is such um you know, it's such an exciting area because that that area is changing so profoundly. Um, and, you know, years ago, you looked at sales development and it was like dumping just a load of leads, um, you know, go out there. It was, you know, sales development now has become so strategic. Um, 
uh, and it like companies all over the world it's becoming you know what it's sales development customer success they're becoming crucial elements of an organization that will determine the success of a growing company so for me it's coaching people because i coach outside uh, i coach in you know cycling i've coached cycling teams i i work in fitness so it's that coaching piece is a real motivator so when i see for example someone on my team come in and um you know day one they're fresh as a daisy deer in the headlights and you know 9 12 15 months later like you're on a call and they're hosting a qualification call and they're digging in and they've got that little nuance or they're coming to you and they're saying i need you to listen in, in this call because i've picked up on these three things and i want like a second guess and you can see that change in someone like that for me is why i'm in sales development and that's probably what's going to keep me in sales development because I think I would lose that piece if I went into other manager type of roles so you know my aspiration isn't to be like a, a CRO or it's I really enjoy taking someone fresh-faced mm. and um, having some form of impact or putting them in an environment where the organization can help make them successful or their teammates um, but I really am motivated by people changing in their role and that's why you know, there's the enablement piece and the coaching piece in sales development, which is what's really attracted me and kept me in the role kind of the last few years. Is there anything in that you just said about seeing the light go on in people, seeing the change that comes from your own life anywhere, where there was, there was a spark, a change, something that happened to you that excited you that you're now wants to, you want to share that with others? Uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll answer, I'll answer it honestly with the first thing that came to my mind, you know, one, maybe, you know, uh, I got into your know, fitness as a side hustle for me. <clears throat> it's a labor of love. It's, it's, it, it, oh. it, it isn't, nor do I want it to be a full-time profession, but it's, it's a labor of love. Um, but I got into that because I was quite obese. So growing up and, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, um, I was quite overweight, like, um, and that was just my coping mechanism for where I was very, very overweight, kind of hit 17 stone. Um, and when I went to college, I, I kind of lost that weight. Um, and, um, that was a huge change for me because it represented a, a number of things. Um, you know, at 18, 19, they're kind of like, they're really kind of growth years of your life. You know, you, uh, you go to college, you want to be free. You want to enjoy your time. Um, I think for me, uh, losing the weight um, sparked some confidence in me, although it, it took a few years to happen. So I would have lost the weight, six plus stone, and then I probably would have lost too much and would have probably gone through a number of years of maybe, you know, being a little bit too restrictive and being too regimented and controlled. And then I kind of moved to Cork. And, and when I moved to Cork, I uh, I realized I kind of had to, to take the time to work on myself Um uh, and take the time to really sort my own stuff out if I was going to work in a company and be successful and have like work life and have my friends or relationships or you know any side hustles that I had to take care of myself so for me that was quite a, a, a pivotal journey because it was kind of taking overweight underweight kind of disordered behavior and food and exercise and then finding a balance and for me like I never thought a balance like that was you know I woke up one morning and I was free you know, I had, I was free. I was free of the shackles, whatever you want to call them. Um, so for me, you know, I see people come in, um, whether it's in fitness or, um, 
you know, even I'll use an example, I'll see fresh faced SDRs come in and you mentioned phone hesitancy. Phone hesitancy is a curse. Like it's an utter curse, <laughs> you know, it's, but I see people that come in and, you know, for me, like getting that SDR over that hurdle and giving them, they have that self-confidence to pick up the phone and control that conversation and not be impacted by whatever happens on the call. I'm mean, not internalizing that. So all those little things kind of, for me, it's a throwback to, that was a moment in my life where I overcome, there were big things for me to overcome. Um, and things that I'm proud of. Um, so, you know, people come in and all sorts of little or big things uh, and they're, they're hurdles. Um, and I think uh, my experience and my upbringing, sometimes it's for better and sometimes it's for worse. Um, but I think uh, I'm an, I am high empathy, um, but I'm also high perception. So uh, sometimes I do get a reading of people really quickly. And I think you said that, on one of your podcasts, one of your guests. Um, so sometimes it's a blessing, sometimes it's a curse, um, but it's a strength. So um, I think it's a strength that's huge in, in a sales development role and trying to nurture new talent and develop it. So um, I would say absolutely, yeah. Kind of those moments in my life have probably been, yeah. you know, it was in fit, it was channeled in fitness and it's probably why I enjoy channeling it in sales development because it's such a hands-on role um, in nurturing talent. Did you leave... Limerick to go to college? No, so went to college in Limerick, went to University of Limerick, um, mm. and then did my master's, and then finished up the master's, uh, did the degree, did an arts degree, didn't mm. know what I wanted to do when I went to college, but I was like, I'm going to college, um, did the degree, graduated at the time of the recession, <clears throat> so I was like, I have an arts degree, I'm on hireable. <laughs> <laughs> you can always know, but you can always know generations well you said the time of the recession and i'm and i'm going which recession <laughs> i've oh, had a few oh wait i lived i i grew up in the 80s so that was a that, yeah that was a that was a decade anyway uh, no the, the reason the reason why i asked you about college in limerick was that it, there seemed to be a change in your environment not your environment i don't mean your physical environment but your where your head is. Like going to college is a big deal. You're meeting new friends, yeah. new organizations, new possibilities. And there was a big change for you there in terms of losing the weight. But you said you went too far with it and were too over controlled. But then when you went to Cork, another change of environment, different atmosphere and so on, that allowed you to examine yourself free from the, I, I do think the environments often control us and restrict us in some ways. Uh, now, the other side of that, I guess they can be freeing too, which we've realized. But it was interesting that, that, that often the, the, the changes in our lives come from changing our circumstances, not environment, our circumstances. That's really what I, I should be saying. Yeah, it's a, you know, I came to Cork. Um, and honestly, it was probably, you know, I'm here nine years now. So, you know, I can probably pinpoint, you know, 2016, 2017 as the years that I felt like really kind of yeah, there's been a change because I don't think you always see that change happen. And I think it was coming to Cork, you know, um, you know I'd, come, I'd come for work. I'd started in an STR role in a, in a company called McAfee Cybersecurity, then started in Malwarebytes. And I think Malwarebytes was a pivotal point in time in my career because it's where I was allowed to build my confidence and bring myself to work. We talk about bringing mm. ourselves to work. It's a, you know, I was allowed to bring my my whole self to work and, and um, uh and have that received as 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 well as it was. So, you know, for me, it was that experience in the years in Mauerbites and just living living life in your late twenties and early thirties. They're like, 
you know, just I'm making money, I'm enjoying myself, um, I'm living out in the world, you know, there's that element of freedom and excitement and it allowed me to kind of build and nurture that and, and to kind of let that grow and flourish, for yeah. sure. Yeah, you said that you struggled with the transition to management, can you talk to me about that? Yeah, <clears throat> so... You know, I went into Mauerbytes, I was an AE, I did it for three years, and then I knew I loved the enablement piece, so I moved into channel enablement role, um, and it was um, uh, it was really designing uh, sales training programs for our channel partners, so, you know, kind of creating those sales training modules, delivering them in person, delivering them virtually, and then managing a set of partner accounts and, and trying to, you know, grow, those, grow the, the kind of base and revenue base for those partners. And I was in that for about 10 months and the organization decided to, to shift in another direction. So they were changing a little bit their channel partner strategy, which meant maybe the role I was in was going to be a little bit more redundant. Um, but there had been a change in leadership. And so new VP came in and um, Jordan Ryan, a uh, great guy. And uh, I, we only knew each other briefly from a previous company where we worked side by side for a couple of months. And uh, he came in and I any new leadership is coming in and you know there's an organization change and structure change and he wants to make sure he has people that he can trust so one day just casually I came into the office and he said um we may need a manager for the SDRs because there was seven or eight and they had no manager and there was no onboarding they weren't being taken care of um and um you know if we get a manager would you be interested and I just kind of said look yeah if you're getting a manager let's sit down grab a coffee have a chat that was on a Wednesday I was off Thursday, Friday, uh, and I came in on Monday, and it was kind of, okay, like, when can you, you're starting? Um, so I had no time to think about it. And and in reflection, it was probably the best thing, because if I'd had time to think about it, I would have probably talked myself out of it. So um, <clears throat> I'm glad it happened like that. But, um, yeah, like, most first-time managers, like, you know, it was literally baptism of fire. Um, I was sitting down and there were seven people in front of me. I'd never managed. I'd never created, thought of a strategy. I didn't know how to manage people. I, I, I didn't even know where to begin. So um, it was uh, an interesting experience. And I think Mauerbytes was a great company where I was, uh, I met all my, I met all the mistakes, all the mistakes. None of them I regret. Um, but I made all the mistakes um, that you possibly could think of, <laughs> plus some. Okay. But, sorry, go on. I, I was going to ask you, instead of talking about the mistakes, talk to me about the biggest lessons. Ooh. <clears throat> um, your people come first. For me, your people come first. So I, uh, your people come first. Um, um, because you have, you have got to foster your people um, you have got to be, for me, you have got to be, uh, as transparent as you can be because, you know, in the position you can always be hundred percent transparent. You have got to coach them. You've got to develop them. You've got to call them out when they need to be called out on, uh, because we're human and we're not always hundred percent switched on, but your people are your greatest asset. Um, so one of my biggest learnings was, uh, there's two coming to mind. First is your, your people come first. Second one is you have got to communicate fast and often um, because I think my first transition to people management I talked about operating out of a place of fear I was operating out of a place of fear um, because I was in survival mode I wanted to be successful um, and that meant that my people came second 
and I came first. Um, and uh, yeah, and may and and I say that it wasn't and is in like it wasn't and nothing like really bad or overtly, but uh, I cared more about perception than actually voicing this is how it is and this is what we need and this is what I need and this is what the team need. I thought I had to be able to do everything. I thought I had to be able to mask everything. I thought everything had to be perfect. I thought everything, but the result was that my people came, like the people that worked, I worked with, they came second on the team. Uh, me and trying to be the puppet master came first. And when you're in that place, consequently then I'm not communicating quickly and often. Um, and uh, yeah, like, you know, you have to, you know, being a sales manager, you know, sometimes, you know, especially SDR manager, there's marketing, there's the account execs, there's the sales managers, there's all these other stakeholders that feed in um, and you're at the center of their universe. And um, sometimes people won't like your answer and that's fine, but it's the answer. Um, so you can't make everyone happy and your job isn't to make everyone happy and your job isn't to be the yes man. Um, so yeah, I've, you know, for me, it's communication and, and putting your people first. I remember one of these kind of speaker guru guys years ago saying something. He was relating a story of he'd been speaking to somebody who'd said, oh, I hate my job. And he says, you can't hate your job. You're not doing your job because you're too busy hating it. And when you talked about operating out of fear, that kind of flashed through my mind as to say, uh, I, I, I fear I won't be successful. Well, you can't be because you're too busy being fearful. That's yep. what it reminded me of, which is that kind of you're, you're worrying about yourself. And if, if you are caught in that orbit, it is it is very difficult then to focus outside of that. Um, what was the breakthrough for you then where you realized that it, it had to change? Uh, so honestly, the breakthrough was I look back at my time at Mauerbites and, you know, um, it was a successful time. Like I, I left that and the team was incredibly successful. So it, I could say it was a successful time and it was, but you know, the change honestly for me happened when I made the transition to work vivo. That's when the change happened because even though the title was the same, the job was incredibly different. I was coming from an organization that had about a thousand people and had a level of structure and organization in place um, where I was going to a company that was 35 people at the time and had no structure and organization play. It was, it was your typical startup, a lot of ambitious, hungry people. And I was brought in, uh, to start something from scratch as opposed to take something that was already operating. Um, and, uh, that was, it was, you know, and honestly, it's, it's only the last kind of two, three months that things have begun to start to click for me. Um, because when you join that, it, it, that in and of itself, that all of last year was a journey. I joined in February, you know, to hiring a team, to trying to do a strategy for the first time, to figure out what's the tech stack, try to work like what, what should the workflow look like, the RevOps, what should like, when we look under the hood, what should that look like? Because there isn't a RevOps. Um, and, you know, when it's not working, how do we pivot? What are we supposed to pivot to? So, you know, <clears throat> it's, a, it's an environment where you're literally, you don't have time mm. I did not have time to sit back and worry because it was not a luxury that I was afforded. And I mean that in a good way. It got me so far out of my comfort zone um, that I think like I honestly have grown in the last 12 months more than the previous nine years, professionally speaking, honestly. Because... Uh, 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 yeah. And of course, I was going to say that you're, you're also, you said you started last year, 
you're now working with people remotely, which is another layer of challenge on top of that. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. And it's, yeah. Um, I think we're all trying to navigate what the best, you know, we're in an interesting time, like even just on a side note, I think we're in mm. such a, such an interesting time because I, I honestly think it's akin to almost like a, uh, a digital industrial revolution of sorts because, um, uh, I would like to think we're not going to go back to how it was work-wise before. I would like to think that hybrid and remote is kind of here to stay. Um, but you look at what's going on in the market now. I've, you know, I'm only in here. I'm only in the professional space about 10 years, but I've never seen the motility in the job market like I see it, it now. It's, it's, it's insane. I've never seen the opportunity and I've never seen, you know, we know that, you know, we talk in work vivo and, and similar space like the great resignation that's what the media dubs it but the reality is is that voluntary people voluntarily leaving their jobs is at the highest it's ever been and i think we're at a bit of an inflection point where um you have organizations you know organizations talk about culture they talk about engagement they talk about bringing yourself to work they talk about diversity equity and inclusion and they're all great things but it's careful that we don't quote unquote bastardize those terms because they mean different things to different companies and they're not set terms so i think because of what has happened in covid and now you have a, a shift where people are voluntarily leaving their jobs in higher numbers than they have people are reevaluating and uh, we're at a kind of a point in time where we don't fully know how the next year, two, three years, what that what that's actually going to mean for employees, what's that what that is going to mean for employers. We don't have the answers and how we should cater to that now. But I think organizations a lot, especially in tech and SaaS, which is great because we are the early adopters and we are the drivers. Um, it's we know we need to be adaptable and flexible more so than in the past. And maybe we actually kind of have to live more to how we said we lived two years ago. Um, and what does culture now mean? What is an engagement? What is engagement? What is DE&I? We talked about it, but, you know, it was more of a, for a lot of companies before it was maybe a sponsorship, but now companies are really buying into it and really trying to say, okay, we've got to drive this forward. We've got to be the change makers and tech and SaaS do that. So I really hope that that's the path that we go on. I, I have a question and a comment and the comment's probably going to get me in trouble, but I'll ask the question first. You talk about the the great resignation and people, res you know, leaving their jobs and so on. And I, I didn't know how it affected companies in Ireland as much. And I'm curious yeah. to know, but what's behind it? Do you think? Well, sorry, you broke up there for a second, but I think you asked what's behind it. Sorry. Yes, that's yeah, exactly. Oh. So I'll I'll give you I'll give you my answer, um, and it's um, I'll give you what what I what I think, but I, I think we don't fully know. Um, I think there's I think there is a number of things um, a number of things impacting it, and I I think you're right. I'm not sure to the degree of of how we're impacted in Ireland, but we know you know the likes in the US it's huge. Um, <clears throat> I think number of things one like the elephant in the room is COVID, and I think COVID offered a lot of people to just reevaluate and reassess. Um, you know, uh, I'm in work vivo. I jump on calls. Like I jump, sometimes I jump on my team calls and I sit back. So I want to hear what our prospects are saying. And they're saying that their employees are leaving in numbers they haven't seen because of due to stress and more like more stress, longer working hours. They're working more from home. This we know. Um, and I think a lot of people have found themselves in a position where, um, you know, we used to talk a lot about work-life balance. 
I think one commonality that I'm seeing is it's now life. Um, it's life. Um, and people want to proportion more of their life into other things than just work. Um, and I get that. Mm. And that's totally cool. That's fair. You know, we don't want to, we're not here to 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 live, um, work all the time. Now that the commute is being taken away and people are working from home, you know, stress, people feel, and here's another one. And here's the difficult one because um, we did a survey among internal comms and HR leaders. Um, and if you, and the same thing is echoed in, in other surveys by, by other third parties. And here's the challenge. People are saying that they're leaving because they feel they're not communicated well enough to in their organization. They feel disconnected and they no longer feel a sense of belonging. So, okay, so that's fine. Okay, so we're looking at, we don't feel a sense of belonging. We don't feel like we belong in work. We don't feel like we're communicated to. We don't feel like we get enough kudos. But from the biggest one that stands out is that sense of belonging. And here's the hard part. That is not an easy thing for an organization to address. That it, like, how do you, how do you, impart a sense of belonging in someone it's incredibly challenging and there isn't just one answer to it so i think the problem and how does an paul how does an organization how does an organization um how do they metric that what's the sense of belonging do we just survey your employees it's hard it's difficult so it's your trying to do things sorry go on yeah no, I was just going to, I'm agreeing with you. I think there's there's several things, but you were saying you're trying to blend. Please continue. I'll yeah. comment later How on. do you, I, I think the, the interesting thing is, you know, we talk to organizations and they're coming to us and <clears throat> even from, you know, uh, even from uh, just how, how do you met, like things like um, a sense of belonging. How does an internal communications manager or how does it, how does a chief people officer go back and say, okay, the one thing we want to increase this year is a sense of belonging in the organization. Um, you know, it's, it's how, do you, how do you pitch that to the business? But there, there's a bit, the, the team is, a lot of these uh, prospects are coming to us and, and they say, we realize we're at an inflection point where we have to try and have conversations with the business where maybe for a while we need to have conversations around things that aren't, it's not even a word, metricable. That's not a word. Um, mm. But, you know, it's... Uh, you know, we, we because you know we work in companies. We need to show a return on investment. We need to show. We need to provide numbers. We need to be able to report on things. Um, so we're at an we're at a bit of an inflection point where maybe we can't do that for everything right now. Maybe we will in a few years, but maybe we can't right now. But you know, um, it's uh, the reality is is companies know that if they don't solve for whatever is going on attrition is at risk like you know voluntary attrition and it's going up and that's what they're looking to try and avoid and yeah. and the reality is it's front-loaded and there's not yeah. one correct answer yeah i see a couple of things i see a ton of i've seen some stats on the amount of venture capital money that's coming into startup companies doubling year on year and that's driving a lot of demand uh, but the uh, and, and here's where i wonder is the working from home, for example, you talk about creating a sense of belonging. Well, when everybody share the same space, um, that's a, you, you, you can get a sense of belonging a lot easier through the people around you than you can when everybody's on a Zoom call. That's just my guess. I don't know that for a fact, but that's a guess. I also wonder if, because we're living in an age where we... And I think in some cases it's 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 a good thing. Some cases I don't agree, 
is that we have to be much more careful about what we say and how we approach other people. Um, I think there's a, a, a kind of an overcompensation where before boundaries weren't always respected. And I think then when people pull back from that, it's like, you know, they, they go back too far. And that can work against a sense of belonging as well because people are, are watching, are being very careful, as they should. Yeah. And so I don't know where the balance is. There, there has to be a balance in there somewhere. But I think there's a number of, I guess, societal shifts that have taken place that, that, that inhibit, I think, a sense of belonging in a workplace. The fact that people are working from home completely uh, undermines it. Um, yeah. Again, only in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're hitting a good point. We have, you know, the last two years we've we have changed the rules, not by choice but by design. You know that it's it's how the events came to be in the world, and we all had to go working from home, and we mm. ripped out the traditional structure we'd only ever known for quite some time. Um, and yeah, you had some forward-thinking companies out there. You know, I think GitHub or GitHub was one. There was one or get something, GitLab or GitHub, always kind of had a large remote presence. But you know, majority of us got up when we commuted to the office, and we were in that routine, and that was the expectation, and that was what was modeled out for us. We've we've kind of just ripped ripped the, the bandaid off, and you know, we haven't fully rewritten the rules, and we don't have the answer. So I think we look back retrospectively. Um, and, and have a better sense and a feeling and understanding. But I think we're in the middle of it now, so it's hard for us to put our finger on it. Um, I think all we can do is, you know, people turning up to work or people managers is what can I do that I feel is the best for my team and the people that I work with every day? Mm. How can I control those controllables? And the everything, everything else will turn out how it turns out. I can't control everything else. So just work on what's important and what I need to Monday through Friday and then trust that the rest will happen as it's supposed to. Who inspires you? Oh, you know what? Is it because when I was, li I listened into the podcast, so you asked this question quite frequently and I was like, God, I must think of an answer to that. <laughs> I prepared you already. <laughs> and I, but I was like, even this morning, I was like, God, I should think of a, a suitable answer to that question. Um, who yeah. inspires me? Um, okay, so if I'm I may interject on this. It's clear to me. Sorry, I we Go for just it. for people listening. I, I, as we're recording, there's about a two or three second time lag. So I, I'm sorry, I keep uh, jumping over you. I, I would imagine from what you said earlier, your, your mother has to be number one on that list in terms of people who've inspired you for sure. But. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, no, I mean, for, you know, for me, m m you know, your mother is a given um, because, um, you know, growing up, that was my template for the world and how I perceive the world. And, you know, we all grow up and we have our parents and we all take on good things and bad, not so good things. And that's the human existence. But my my greatest strengths come from her, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the parts of me that... Um, are you know really make me who I am so um absolutely is, is a given and 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 outside of that I would say that um I'm inspired by traits more so than specific people um so I'm inspired by um people that show up and speak their mind professionally or personally even when it's not popular to do so but what they're saying has validity and I'm inspired by that because it's something that I has taken me a long time 
to try and tap into and that's a trait that I really appreciate in people and it's been one that I've had to try and develop and foster in me so you know they say kind of opposites attract I've always been attracted by that directness not abrasiveness but directness and people that just say what they need say what they want or say it how it is when it's valid and appropriate to do so and that's something that I continually try and work on refining myself so I'm drawn to that trait can I just on that one I think it's important because you said if it's valid that sounds to me you know when you say something's valid that's a judgment call because again there's no objective measurement of what's valid or what's invalid in that sense so I'm curious to know when you talk about people who speak their mind what about people who speak their mind that you vehemently disagree with what's that like for you so I have to be careful because just because I, I disagree with something doesn't make that experience true so um, for me, I'm very aware that multiple realities exist and that my reality is not the only reality. Um, so if I'm in the presence of um, a statement or an opinion uh, that I vehemently agree with for whatever reason that is, I don't have to be there. Like, I don't have to be in that presence. I don't have to agree with it. It doesn't make it valid or it doesn't make it invalid. Someone, just because someone has a different opinion that I vehemently agree with, does it make does it make that experience invalid or that opinion invalid? Um, so I'm always very careful to check in with what's going on for me and why that might be the case. If I feel like it's just rude or abrasive, or because sometimes people say things just to be rude or abrasive, or you know even going a line and above, then you know remove myself from that situation because it serves no purpose. But uh, if someone just has a different opinion, that's cool. I mean, doesn't make it doesn't mean it's not invalid. It might very well valid, and maybe my I just have to suck it up, Buttercup, because maybe I'm the one that has I, I'm in the wrong. So. Um, yeah, always have to check in because multiple realities exist and my reality isn't the only reality. Mm. Richard, I, I am I'd probably the one of the f very few podcasts where when I check the time, I'm kind of going, oh my God, I can't believe we're actually over the hour. No. That's phenomenal. Uh, I have two very, very quick questions for you that, again, you be prepared for these because I ask every single time at the end of every podcast. <laughs> and here they are take as long as you like if there's a delay I'll edit it out for you <laughs> how about that take a sip of water so it'll make it sound like you're in there with it um, first question house is burning down family are safe you've got your phone any pets they're all safe time to run back in grab one thing what would it be ah uh, diary journal are you are you a, a habitual journal yep i have been for about a year and a half yeah it's okay. just part of um just my process yeah for uh just either early morning checking or late night checking yeah and what do you get out of that so i think for me um for me it helps process whatever is going on um but it also helps foster the creative in me um so sometimes i might just journal sometimes it might be something as simple as a reframe um, or sometimes I might actually, I'm, and I'll preface this and say, I'm not a writer, I just write. Um, mm. But I might write something like a monologue. So from time to time, I'll do acting classes. Again, I'm not an actor, I just act. So um, on those little moments and flicker that I have a little bit of inspiration, I'll put pen to paper. Um, and I find creativity breeds creativity. So if I'm in the process of doing it over and over again, it kind of sparks a little bit more creativity. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And the final question. When your time on this planet is done and there's a, uh, a statue erected in your honour in, uh, in the centre of Limerick, 
What would you like it to say on the on the brass plate? Oh God, yeah. I should have just wrote down three words before I came on the podcast, just to like throw them out there. Um, so I feel like I have three. Okay, I'll I'll just throw out the three words that come to my mind. But I'm almost like uh, caring, understanding, um, humble. Richard Mullins, is an absolute joy having you on the podcast today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks, Paul.